0: Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. Well, back in the day, when I was a young man, we used to dogpile. Anybody ever dogpile before? Uh, and it's not just a guy thing. I've watched girls do it too. I mean, it's more, m- more, more of a guy thing, but I've watched girls do it too. But, but it, it's pretty intense. You can see a dog pile in football on a regular basis. The referee happened to be caught in the dog pile here, uh, looking a little bit nervous, a little bit scared. Uh, but dog piles are always fun. It would always start off random. One guy would just jump on another guy, and then we'd jump on another one, and then all of us would pile on top. And if you were at the bottom, You're having so much fun, but then there's a moment, a moment of panic, when everybody's on top of you and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, why are we doing this? I have no idea, but this is great. And then you have the moment of panic. Get off me, I can't breathe. And then you realize, oh no, I really can't breathe. I can't breathe. Get off, get off, and then you start getting a little bit frustrated. This happens, almost every dog pile this would happen. Starts off real fun, then somebody starts to panic, and then they get frustrated. Get off me! Get off. And then by the time they get up, somebody's almost fighting. What are you doing? Why were you doing? You used to shower, can't breathe And it just happens every single time. So none of you dogpile. That's okay. Well, <laughs> this referee was struggling, and it's, it's a struggle when you can't breathe. I remember I went uh, shark diving. This is actually me with a great white shark, pretty cool. It never gets old. I'm going to show these pictures to you for the rest of my life. So you're just going to have to get used to them at least once or twice a year. But you can see in my mouth as a diver, you have what's called a regulator. Now I'm I'm getting ready to get into this cage and I put the regulator in my mouth and we're, we're connected to a hookah system, which is we don't have individual packs. When you cage dive, there's air tanks in the cage and you have um, tubes that are connected to the air tanks, and you just have a little, little hookah that comes down. And so, so I, I put the regulator in my mouth. There, we're, we're getting ready to go underneath the water, or or I go underneath the water, and I realize it's hard to breathe. And so I tried a couple more times, and it's already, when you get in the water, the pressure, you know, that happens on your lungs and, and your body, you want to make sure that you can breathe well. So I I thought maybe I'm just tripping. I've never done this before. Water's a little bit cold, but I'm like, this is a little, this is, this is hard. So then I started to get a little bit nervous because once they close that door and you start to, to go down, it's really hard to get back up. They have to send like a buoy up and it can be dangerous. And so, so we were, I'm underwater and I look at my master diver. I'm like, man, I I can't breathe. So finally I I, I pop up and I look at the other master diver on the platform and I said, something is wrong. They're like, no, no, you're okay. I'm like, no, something is wrong with my regulator. So anyways, they swapped it out, put it in. I was like, that's, that's a breath. And it's, it's nerve wracking. It's scary. It's scary to think that I'm getting ready to go underwater and the thought of not being able to breathe is nerve wracking. I think there's a lot of things that take our breath away. When I first saw my wife, take my breath away. Every time I see her first thing in the morning out of bed, I'm like, I am a blessed man. But then there's some things that take our breath away in a not so fun way. I think we look out today and we hear rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, as Matthew 4 explains these would be some signs of the, the last days. It can take your breath away. Oh, wow. Wow. I think the rumors of economic collapse and recession or depression or some kind of shun is on the horizon, they say. It's, it can be nerve-wracking. It can be hard to, to catch our breath. I think about crime. You're hearing news stories of break-ins all the time and home invasions. People are a lot more bold than they used to be. And, and so I, there's this guy. He was in the back of my fence. My, our backyard backs up to a trail, and I, I saw my dog going crazy. And so I looked outside. My dog, when there's somebody and it's not good, has a different bark. You know, it's kind of like a baby has a different cry. My dog has a different bark. And so I knew something, something was wrong. So I look out there, and there's just this guy standing on the other side of my fence like this. I'm like, what? So I do what any pastor would do. You know, I walk outside. What are what, what you doing out there? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't say that. I said, hey, can I help you? I said, I don't want you to put your hands in my fence because my dog will bite you. Let me say that again for the people in the back. My dog will bite you. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm just, just picking some pomegranates because we have a pomegranate tree on the trail. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem, no problem. But, but you just feel the, what is he doing? What are you, what are you, you trying to come into my fence? What? Get them, doggo, right? It's terrible. My dog is a deterrent. I do not want my dog to bite anybody. I'm just saying, it's, it's not, it's not good. It's not, I don't want my dog to bite anybody. Just detour them. But there's, there's some of those things that can take our, our breath away. Some of us are just dealing with a lot of different things in life, and it's been hard to breathe. There's, there's a pressure some of us have been trying to keep up with others. We, we are in constant comparison to what we have and what we don't have. Um, I, I think if you're in California and you don't own a home, you're looking at people in Tennessee like, maybe, maybe I should make the move. Texas, may, may, maybe the, this small little town in New Mexico, I can buy one for 100000 Maybe right? It's just you feel the pressure. You f- hear their prices and you see our prices. <gasps> Takes your breath away. But it's easy to go from one who acknowledges God, I think, to one who doesn't because of the pressing. We can move from a posture of prayer to not praying at all because we don't have any breath. Our spouse leaves and we're like, this is not supposed to happen to me. We get a medical diagnosis. I never saw this happening. Maybe we're facing some type of persecution for our faith living boldly and courageously in front of people. And it just, the the pushback has been tough. Maybe you haven't been able to breathe emotionally. There's been just so much going on, maybe mentally. Maybe there's been some anxiety and some depression. It's just, it's no fun, man. Life in pain can take your breath away. It can be really overwhelming. I remember going back to the Holocaust, both the U.S. and the British could not believe. They just couldn't believe it. That's the same place, we got Mozart and Bach are now committing genocide. They're just like, they they didn't believe it at first. They didn't even respond to it at first because they just thought, oh, no. And then when they saw it was a reality, it was, no way. Can I just tell you, church, it's really hard to live when you can't breathe. It's hard to see. It's hard to enjoy. Imagine going diving with great white sharks, but your regulator's broken. Like, you're not caring about the shark at all. You're just looking around, grasping, trying to figure out, how do I breathe? It's hard to enjoy life when your breath is taken away. It's hard to persevere. I got pneumonia this last year. I couldn't even talk. It was so hard to breathe. And there's, there's a story found in Mark chapter five. It's not gonna be our main text, but it's, it's about a woman with the issue of blood. It's a very familiar text. We're not gonna camp there long. But I want you to see something that maybe you haven't seen before. And I want to propose something to you. She had an issue of blood for 12 years, meaning she was sick. She was bleeding. She had spent all that she had on doctors. She turned over every rock, knocked on every door, no breath, no wind. But she didn't quit. Somebody say, don't stop now. She didn't quit. And it says that when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So she may not have had a lot of breath, but she had some faith. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt her, in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, remember, in this culture, it's, it's I need to say this. Many of you guys already know this, but I'm going to say it again. If you've never heard this story before, it's a great story. You should go back and reread it in Mark chapter 5. But she was a relational liability, meaning she was considered unclean. She couldn't go to church. If you touched her, you would literally have to go home and take a shower and could not come out of your house again until evening. She had the feeling, I'm sure, of being unworthy. She was unaccepted. She was pressed physically, but she was also pressed emotionally. She was suffering on the outside of her physical body, she was suffering on the inside or outside, relationally, inside on her physical body, she was going through it. And it says this, it says that once she, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? So again, there's a pressing. The crowd is pressing in on Jesus and only one seems to touch him though, this woman. And his disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? It's like, come on, Jesus, there's tons of people around. That's their question. How can you ask who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But I'm more intrigued by the fact that Jesus is asking that question. Because Jesus was constantly reading people's minds. Like they would come to him and he would just know. Walking with Jesus in that day would have been a little nerve wracking. Or he looks at you and like, I know what you're thinking. You're like, am I thinking good? Am I thinking good? Uh... Because he just knows. So why is he asking? Who touched me? Like, you know. Could be a moment of his humanity. But but I think there's something more to it. So Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Now, she did that in front of everybody. Remember, there's a crowd pressing. He's looking for the woman who touched him, and she came with trembling fear, and she told him the whole truth in front of everybody. And this is what he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now this word suffering, it comes from the Greek word mastix. It refers to a literal whipping. Back in the day in the first century church, they would put bone fragments at the end of the whip and you would suffer twice. You would suffer from the pain of the whip and then they would rip off the skin And the ongoing suffering—it would be painful, not just in the moment of whipping, but it would be painful for a long period of time. And so, so this word it it literally speaks to the effects that are deliberate, that are uh, debilitating after the actual whip. And so, so I would propose that that this woman was not only in need of Christ to heal her, but she was also in desperate need of community. She had not been touched. She had not been loved, encouraged, walked with. And so what does he do? She's so vulnerable. She publicly declares before everybody, this is where I'm at. She bears her soul. And then what does Jesus do? He validates her in front of everybody. He says, daughter, which is a term of endearment. He says, your faith has healed you. You're no longer bound by that anymore. You're free. You're no, no longer untouchable. Like you're touchable now. Like, like everybody get close to her. It's okay. She's healed. Everything that you've known about her before, it's over with. It's done. She is healed. So now go in peace and be freed from this after effect. Be freed from not only this, this issue of blood, but be freed from the whole package of being isolated, being pushed out. I mean, it's, it's one thing to suffer physically, but it's a whole nother thing to have nobody to walk with you while you're suffering physically. Anybody ever try to do life alone? It's hard. When I was in dive training, the first thing they do is they teach you the buddy system. I felt like I was back in school again. And right away, you don't realize how critical it is to have a, a partner with you. Because the moment something goes wrong with your tank or regulator and you can't breathe, your buddy is right there with the second regular, that regulator that hangs off of them. They have theirs. We all have a spare. And instantly, yeah, I can look at my buddy and say, and they just know, here you go. Breathe. Breathe. And I'm just telling you, we're, we're getting trained in Monterey. When you can't see but one foot in front of you, you're so grateful you have an arm. Cause literally it's, it was so murky and you know, there's tons of great whites in there. We're like 30 feet down. You can't see anything, but you're locked with an arm. I'm looking at my partner. I can't even, I can't even see my partner. It's that murky, but, but we're locked and they train us in such a way where we can be totally blind and still help one another breathe. We can be in a place of pitch dark and still figure out how to help one another breathe. Can I just tell you, it's hard to live when you can't breathe and it's hard to breathe without Christ-centered relationships. That's it. It's really hard to breathe when we don't have Christ-centered community. Community gives us something that we can't find anywhere else. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, the root of friendship are these two words. You too? You too? Man, I thought I was the only one. You too? Can I tell you how many times... You too has given me a breath of fresh air. I remember when I first met Pastor James, that was it. I I was, I I had no friends. I I left my old life. I loved everybody, but I needed a time where God was rebuilding and strengthening me. I didn't trust myself to hang around some of the the people that I was hanging around with, not because I didn't love them or they were terrible people. It was just because God was moving me in a new direction. And I just remember sitting down with Pastor James and we connect and I and, and we just have those moments of we're now following Christ. You too? Oh this oh you too? Oh you don't really have any oh you too. Oh breath of fresh air. But sometimes I think today we struggle with community because we mistake connectivity for community. See, we're more connected today, but we're also the most lonely. And now a lot of studies are being done and we still don't know what all this technology stuff is doing to us in totality. We don't know. We'll probably look back 20 years and say, man, it messed all of us up. But, but what they are able to to do now is they they're able to connect loneliness to your use of digital devices and technology. So they can, they can gauge by the amount of time you spend on social media and on the internet, they can almost chart the amount of loneliness you will have in your soul. Now, they're not thinking of it from a soul perspective. They're thinking about it purely based on science and data and research and how you interact. But what they're saying is the more time you spend on a digital device, the more lonely you become. And, and they're, they're trying to figure out some of the, the working theories on it is that you're spending more time to like a photo on social media with somebody you met a year ago that you really don't talk to then you are having a face to face conversation with one of your best friends. So we're just spending way more time, you know, connected, but not in community, a lot of connectivity, but not a whole lot of community. And I think I'm telling you, community was already hard to begin with because community poses a challenge. John Mark Homer says it like this, and it's in Christ-centered community, we are exposed and encouraged. And we don't like that first one, exposed. It's so funny, when, when singles get married, a lot of times you'll, you know, you'll find people come back, it's maybe six months or a year into the marriage, and it's they kind of have a taking my breath away look on their face. A, l- a little shocked, like, man, I, I guess I'm really messed up. Like, I don't do it anything right, apparently I'm like a chauvinist, I'm narcissistic, I'm messy, my relationship with God feels like it's struggling, and in reality, no, no, it's it's like, no, 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 that's always been you, you're just in community, you're just being exposed, Like, like that's always been there, and what a gift! What a gift. Do you notice how we are at our worst with the ones that we love and are closest to? (laughs) We are at our worst. Where am I most likely to get irritated is in my house. Not on the pulpit. Who am I most, who's most likely to see not just the good, but the bad and the ugly? Those that I love and are closest to me. Like when my kids like, "Bam, kids some work. Don't you see? Got to prepare a sermon to reach the world." <laughs> Why is that? Most irritated, most likely to be selfish, most likely to be this or that. You can fill in the blanks. It's because they love me, and I know they're not going to throw me out—at least not yet. There's a feeling of safety. Now, our home is not a perfect home, but it is a healthy Christ-centered home. It's a healthy community. And so when they see me, they still love me. And this is the most important thing is, is in community, I'm able to see myself in a way that I normally wouldn't see myself. And then I can bring all that stuff to the mercy of God and invite the grace of God to heal, to restore, and work on me on a regular basis. We just had this conversation not too long ago with my wife. We, Jack and I were talking, and I just noticed that sometimes she kind of tiptoes around me in certain areas, and I just thought, I don't want you to have to tiptoe. Why do you tiptoe? And then I realized, because sometimes she doesn't want to go down this road or this type of conversation, or I can get irritated, or I, I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't see that. But now that I know, because I'm in community, I can bring that to the Lord. I can bring that to our pastoral team and say, hey, this is where I'm at. And apparently there's, there's a, a, you know, I'm, I'm missing it here. I do not want my wife in any area to feel like she has to like tiptoe or anything like that. And so, so this is why so many of us run from community. This is why so many of us quit when it gets hard and we try to avoid it because we don't want to be exposed. But exposure is a gift from God. It's 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 a work of God's grace in your life and in mine that help us grow in our relationship with Him. Are you are you tracking with me? And so so community will expose you, but it will also encourage you. Because you have people in your life that are saying, Oh, that's not cool. Like God has something so much better for you than that. That's not who you are. What are you no way? Come on, let me walk with you. Come on, we we, we know that God has designed you for more. They speak into your destiny. They lift up your hands. They want to see God's very best in your life. This is my experience. Trying to train my dog without community and trying to train my dog in community. What you can't see right now is on this side, I have a trainer that's with me right by my side. He's telling me everything to do. This side, my dog's just like pulling everywhere. Just like, come on, you're going to listen to me. This one, he's telling me everywhere, he's throwing food at her, he's telling me what to do, he's saying, great job, you're doing good. Okay, yes, we're going to break it, come back. Like, he's just teaching me how to do it. I didn't know how terrible of a dog trainer I was till I got in community. Wow. <laughs> and I've never been more encouraged in my dog training since I got in community. So good. Yeah. Now I'm like, I'm, I'm getting some... I'm getting some reps under my belt. I'm being corrected all the time. I'm being encouraged. I'm learning dog psychology. Who learns dog psychology? <laughs> but, but, but it's amazing. Paul had this moment with Peter in Galatians 2. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Can I just tell you, that's a hard thing to do. It's not just hard on Peter. That's hard on Paul. Yeah. It's like nobody wants to be that person to come and say, hey, Yeah, I'm gonna kind of have to oppose you to your face. Let's have the convo. But man, those critical conversations in community. When I say critical, it's not because I'm critiquing you, it's critical because I want God's best in you. It's important that we have these conversations. Why? He says, Man, for what he was doing was wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But when some of James's friends came, right, Peter's like, oh man, the Jews are here. Peter, would eat with the, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Now other people are following like, oh yeah, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. And all, this, all the time, Peter's being driven by fear. He's lost sight of his identity in Christ. He's trying to be accepted again. And it says even Barnabas, Barnabas is the son of encouragement. This is like the most encouraging guy on the planet. He's like, yeah, maybe, sorry guys, can't can't eat with you. So all these guys are being led astray and Paul said this, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message. What a good friend to come and say, man, you've lost sight of the gospel. That's not who you are. This is, this is not how we walk, bro. You were just eating with them. Now you're not like, come on, Pete. He says, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you are a Jew by birth and have discarded Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? It's like, Peter, like we need this in our life. We need this for us and others need this from us. But a lot of times we avoid community because the two components of community, are you ready for this? We just don't like this. It's vulnerability and accountability. It's so easy to be isolated and you can be you can protect vulnerability and accountability in yeah. isolation, even in connection and connectivity. You can still protect these, but you can't in community, not in real community. Right. Now, community—if uh, you look at it—it's it's a cognate of communication, meaning communication or community happens when communication is happening at a bare soul level, like you are bearing your soul. Like, like, I'm letting it all out. Now, I know it takes time to build relationships and friendships, so I'm not saying this will happen right away. I'm talking about people that you trust. But can I just tell you, community is risky. Why? Because you can get hurt. And you're accountable. Both of those are risky. That's why I think as we look in the scriptures, the table is the center point of community. Jesus' body, the, the bread and the wine, the blood and the body of Jesus. A lot of the New Testament writers talk about the table being synonymous for, you know, a a, a time of, of confession or letting go. We see Jesus at the Last Supper, letting his disciples know the cross is ahead. This is what I'm getting ready to do. The word for table in the Greek is trapezio. The only time that trapezio is used in the New Testament is at the Last Supper at the table. And trapezio is where we get the word trapeze and it literally means to let go. It's a place where we can let go. It's a place where we can get around the blood and the body of Jesus with one another, eat, drink, share our wins, confess our faults. It's a beautiful picture. The table is incredible. As you gather around the blood and the body of Jesus in communion, it's so important. Like it's so cool to do it together here at church. It's even more incredible to do it at the table with others or your family. Like it's, it's, such, it's such a special, sacred moment of remembrance and recalling. And Paul says it's a time of examining. We're examining our hearts. And it's cool when you do it with others. When you bury your soul, you say, hey, this is where I've been wounded. This is the sin I'm struggling with. This is my limp. This is my pain. But a lot of times we just don't, it's 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 nerve wracking. Because with vulnerability, the beautiful thing about it is comes kind of a built-in accountability for us to change, for us to grow, for us to repent, and for us to really follow Jesus. That's why I think Celebrate Recovery, it's one of our equipped groups. I think this is why it's so effective, is because they are very comfortable confessing. They are very comfortable sharing. Not just the joys and the wins, but they're also, hey, this is where I'm struggling. This is how my week was. This is where I'm at. And that's such a beautiful picture. James chapter 5 verse 16, you hear us quote this all the time that James says, confess your sin to one another that you might be healed. Not forgiven because that is between you and God, but there is a healing that happens in Christ centered unity as we're bearing our souls, we're confessing our sin because the entire last part of the chapter of James chapter 5 is all around prayer that we can come up and pray and contend with one another and get behind one another, lift each other up. But again, it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking. Why? Because we don't like to be exposed. We just don't like to be exposed. So we took our team this, this, uh, this last week, our pastoral staff, our pastor's appreciation. We took them, we did an overnight at an Airbnb and it's just 24 hours, just fast. We're gonna eat good food, we're gonna share, we're gonna just hang out. And so we had a night at the table. And we took communion together. And the question that I posed at the table was this. What is one vulnerable area that God is working on in your life? Two hours go by. We're crying. We're laughing. We're taking communion. We're eating. And I mean, it was just such, like, it was the best. I mean, just one table. It was the best part of the whole trip. Can I just tell you, we left exposed, but we also left encouraged. We let our our soul bear. We're trusting one another. And it's scary, but here's what I do know, is that the greater the vulnerability, the deeper the intimacy. And I can say our pastoral team, and we are in it together. This is not like just a professional relationship. No, we are doing life together. We're not telling you to do something that we are not doing ourselves. And so Acts chapter 2 says it this way, says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now this word fellowship is the word koinonia. It, it literally means sh- sh- we, we share in a, com- in a common, there's a commonality. But it's more than that. Koinonia is more than just we share some common things. That's typical relationship. This is we share this common fellowship and connection in Christ. I mean, think about this. They say one of the hardest churches to grow is a multi-ethnic church. Why? Because when people come to church, they're just looking for people like them. And when they don't see people like them, it's just easy for them to be like, well, just don't want to come back. But that's not the gospel. It's not what we see in the book of Acts. It's not the Bible. As the church of Philippi is being birthed, you have a fashionista, Lydia from Thyatira. She would have been of Asian descent. Super wealthy, probably has homes everywhere. You have a demon-possessed, former demon-possessed slave girl, and you have a blue-collar jailer. They would never do life together. On a, on a, they have nothing in common. In this culture, they had nothing in common. It would never happen apart from the gospel. But the gospel was breaking barriers, breaking walls, and creating a brand new community. That, that there's nobody that's too far outside. There's nobody outside of God's power. There's nobody outside of the gospel. Like, like this beautiful tapestry that God is weaving. He's birthing the church in Philippi with a demon-possessed slave girl, a woman that sells purple, fashionista, and a blue-collar jailer. How are they doing life together? The gospel, fellowship, koinonia the greatest thing that we have in common. We may not have a lot of things in common, but we have the greatest thing in common is we have Christ. And so Paul demonstrated this vulnerability as well in second Corinthians. He said, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for our bodies. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Paul was pressed. He was struggling. Paul was saying, it's hard to breathe. Uh, Like it's, it's getting real. I'm concerned for the Corinthian church because they bought into false teachers. Those false teachers are ridiculing, mocking, and like getting people to betray me. I'm facing persecution every single day. Like physically people want to kill me. He's like, man, it's a lot of battles on the outside, fear on the inside, a lot of conflict, no rest, hard to breathe. Paul continues and it says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for our bodies. We face conflict from every direction, battles on the outside, fear on the insides, but God. Come on, don't you love those moments where God intervenes? Who comforts the downcast, comforted us by, by what, by parting the heavens? By sending lightning to burn up my enemies? By removing me to a remote place so I can get a spa treatment, rest and relax. No, he says... He comforted us by the coming of Titus. God's son was a friend. God sent a friend. All these false teachers were turning their back on Paul. Titus is like, I'm standing with you. I, I, I'm a man of truth. I know they're preaching a false gospel. I'm standing with you, Paul. Not everybody has deserted, de- deserted you. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And look what it says. His presence was a joy. Some of us have, are lacking joy because we're lacking community. I'm not talking about ultimate joy. Our ultimate joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. But how he operates and how God continues to move, shape, form, and heal our life, he uses community. And it says, so the news that he brought was encouraging. He was, man, he received uh, the encouragement that he received. So he was filled with joy. His presence brought encouragement. And Paul, look how vulnerable this is. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you you are for what had happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. He brought a good report. said, hey, don't give up. God's, God's still working. Not, they haven't lost their way. Like, it's, it's okay, dude. But you can just see Paul. He's just baring his soul. And he's, he's doing it in a, in a letter. This last week, yesterday, my toilet overflowed in the morning. For whatever reason, you could have just a little bit of toilet paper in this toilet and it's just, it's hit or miss. It's, it's a gamble. So I always approach it with deep caution like, are we good today we or are we not? In Jesus' name, boom. <laughs> so this day, again, I it, toilet overflowed. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, grab the towels, clean everything up, no big deal. So then uh, we're gonna take the dogs and the kids on a walk. We're gonna go walk around the neighborhood. So we get halfway down my block, and my my little shepherd that you saw there, she has diarrhea in the middle of the street, just everywhere. But she's been fine. Like her everything, without going into too much detail, has been solid. No pun intended. So this was random. I'm like what's wrong with you? And then I'm a good neighbor, so I can't just leave it there. So I'm like, the walk. I mean, you guys can go without me, but I gotta go. Use the neighbor's hose. I just don't, we just don't do that. We're good neighbors. Want to bless our community. And I'm walking back and I told Jack, I said, I just feel like the enemy is is trying to get me to grumble today as I'm walking back to get the bags to clean it up. So then I come back and I'm cleaning up diarrhea. and, uh, And this lady comes out of her house and she says, hey you know, how's it going? I said, oh, you know, my dog, I'm so sorry. She says, you need some water? You need a hose? And I was like, man, that would be incredible. So then we start talking and she starts sharing. And I'm like, I know why you had diarrhea, Kiva. <laughs> and she just starts sharing about all of her loss. She lost her husband 10 years ago and lost like six people, kind of disconnected from community a little bit in her church. And, and then she just starts sharing and sharing and sharing. And I just knew that God sent me there to remind her that she's not forgotten, that God sees her. And who did God send? God didn't send lightning. He didn't. He just, he sent a neighbor. Jackie and I, we got to pray with her, exchange exchanged numbers. So hey, if you need anything, you can ask, you need light bulb change. You need like whatever, like we got you. You know, if you've, feel you ready to come back to church or you, you know, cause I guess she's been disconnected from the church that she was attending. They went through some transition. And so she's kind of like trying to figure out where she's going to land and it's like no strings attached, but Hey, you, we love you. We care about you. That yesterday presence made the world a difference in that woman's life. And then we're, we're walking down and we see another another person that we've known for a while, and we just struck up conversation, and he just shared, my friend just died, and this is a walk, we're just going on a walk, talking to our neighbors. What mattered in that moment's presence. Presence. And so out of everything the Apostle Paul could have used in the moments, God said, you need a friend. Paul was hurting, he was wounded, now there's some joy, there's some Christ-centered community. We see this with Moses like we looked last week. Moses is interceding while Joshua's in the battle and he's just getting tired and Aaron and her come by and just lift up his hands. We got you. We're standing with you. We're lifting up your hands and look what it says. It says that he was able to remain steady. Some of us, it's hard for us to remain steady. It's hard for us to live consistently because we're lacking community. We're lacking people to come alongside of us and us come alongside of others and lift up their hands and pray and contend with them. Moving right along, Paul had another encounter. He said, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. If you want to name your son, it's a great name. It'll be very unique. Because he has often refreshed me and was unashamed of my change. Indeed, when he arrived in Rome, look at these words. He searched hard for me until he found me. That's what I'm talking about. That is Christ-centered community. This word often, refreshed, you know what it means in the Greek? He was a breath of fresh air. He was a breath of fresh air. These guys, they stood for truth. They stood with Paul. And they searched hard for me. When you don't see somebody for a while, do you search hard for them? we need this. Remember we went for, um, we had a guy in our church, a dear friend of mine, his name is Mike. They moved down South, but we, we ran this, uh, my first 5k super wimpy 5k. It's like three and a half miles, but in training and preparation for this, he helped me. He got me the shoes and he woke up with me. I would not have woken up at 5 30 in the morning ever to run I love getting, I go get up at 545 every single day, but to run, I hate running. Why am I doing this? I don't know. Am I people pleasing? Am I, am I, why am I doing this? But I, I really wanted to do it. I want, I just felt like I needed a new challenge. And so we would get up and there's this Creek back here, right on, uh, you know, over the little overpass here and we'd show up 530 in the morning. He's like, you ready to run? I'm like, no, <laughs> he's like, and he just, just, he just run with me. And I know he could be way, like he runs 25 miles. And I'm like dying on one, like, bro, you can go ahead. He's like, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm running with you. So we actually get to the event. I'm still not prepared. I feel like I want to throw up. I'm like two miles in. I'm like, bro, I just, I can't breathe. He's like, yes, you can. I'm like, bro, I can't breathe. He's like, yes, you can. You, you're breathing right now. You're talking to me, like, just. And just pace with me the whole time. Cross that finish line, 45 minutes late. No, I'm just kidding, it wasn't that bad. Just stop, man. Then we just, we we shared the moment of victory. But I credit that race to him. Now, I would have quit a long time ago. Don't stop now. That's what he said. Just don't stop now. Just just keep, just keep, just keep running. So what am I saying today? I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, you got to find your people. You got to find your, we're going to pray the promise. If you're not going to stop now, you're going to have to pray the promise and persevere in prayer. And you got to find your people. Like who is standing with you and who are you standing with? Who is searching for you and who are you search, searching for? Jesus what did he do? He, he came in a body. He could have did it, He could have just sent power. Oh! But he came in a body. He walked with us. He ate with us. He drank with us. He suffered with us. He died for us. He was vulnerable, exposed on a public highway so that we could be intimate with the living God. I mean, how beautiful is that? And he is a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way, just like us. Does that bring some comfort? What he's saying is, you too? Oh yeah, you too? It's just he never fell. He never wavered. He never quit. He's the son of God. Perfect, spotless lamb of God came in bodily form to be in community with us so we could be intimate with the God of all creation. We get saved. He baptized us as what? Into a body. He came to seek and to save. What does that mean? He searches for us. And he just says, man, I want you to do the same. Just as you receive from me, do for one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What is he saying? Just as I have loved you, love one another. Stand. Search. Lift up. Expose. Encourage. Vulnerability. Accountability. It's community. And he says in that place, there's healing, there's growth, there's transformation, there's change. There's encouragement, there's joy, there's freedom. Got to find your people. Got to find your people. Will you stand to your feet? We have a lot of, we have some small groups for you guys to to check out. I encourage you to do that. Just telling you, this is more important than you realize. So many one another verses in the text, like you... You, I hear it all the time. I can do serve God by myself. I, I don't need to go to church. Yeah, you can be in relationship with God that way, but if you, He's going to lead you to Christ-centered community. Just so you know, He's going to lead you there, because you won't even be able to feel so, fulfill so many of God's so much of God's will for you in the New Testament. It constantly says one another, one another, one another. How do you do that by yourself? You're going to miss out on so much and you're going to rob other people because they need you too. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and by downloading our app.